Raw Nut Research, real life stories. I was out, we were out camping. It was just a couple of weeks ago and I was with with my lady, Brandon, reading this thing and uh, just deeply immersed in it. And uh, there was a letter in there from from my mum. And my mum was a huge, huge influence on my life. Just a, a wonderful laughing, spirited, adventurous lady who loved the world and people and discovering new things and never questioned my craziness for wanting to go into wildlife, was always just there for... I had no idea how I would make a living and she probably had no idea. She had no idea, right? But she never would say, this is crazy, Chris. You need to be this, that or that. She was just always there for me. So one of the things in this journal was a letter from her and it said... It sounds like you're having some wonderful... Because we would write letters back and forth. I was in Spain for two months. And she said, it sounds like you're having a wonderful time. I wish you I wish you had a dictaphone to record your adventures, Chris. Because the world needs to hear them. And it, it just choked me up. Because here I am with the world's biggest dictaphone now, right? It's called a podcast. <laughs> and sharing these experiences. And my mum saw that in me before I did, you know, this passion for sharing stories about this amazing place, you know, that we call home. What's your life story? Welcome to Inspirational Interviews, where you'll discover everyday brave hearts connecting with their truth. Find out what inspires them to do what they love, how they got here and why they never give up. Be inspired by these stories to create your beautiful world. Raw, not researched, real life stories with your host, Hi guys, welcome back to Inspirational Interviews. As I always say, super excited about this conversation today because I always am, but today we are going to be speaking with Chris Morgan who is born in uh, Great Britain, but he has spent, yeah, the, the the most half of his life in the United, in the United States and um, he's basically dedicated his life to nature to the environment and to to storytelling and if you were to really pinpoint what what specific area of nature that is he I call the bear man and um, yeah you're going to find out his story and how he got so involved and passionate about these wild bears uh, these grizzly bears as we all know them and um, yeah he's just really done amazing work in um, conserving the bears and um, and also growing the bear population in areas of Spain and um, and the United States and and just really bringing beautiful awareness and attention to these amazing animals, which we all know. I mean, yeah, it's funny, right? But everyone has this cuddly little bear when they when they're small, and that's what these bears are. They're they're um, yeah, they they they're our childhood um, toys that we all play with, and you know we take it for granted that uh, everyone has a little bear. As, as a child, but you know, um, if we don't protect these animals, um, then they will no longer exist. And we're going to find out Chris Morgan's story and also, you know, really also understand why it's so important to be aware of nature and how we can conserve and protect nature without, um, yeah, without inflicting on our own human needs, should we say, because um, humans generally put themselves first 
uh, and and then we meet these amazing people like Chris Morgan, and we understand actually that we all live together, and it's not about putting ourselves first, but it's about how can we be to, together, how can we coexist as human beings, and 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 with nature and animals, because we are all one we're all together and I, I have so many podcasts which I bring forward and conversations with amazing people who understand this and and see the importance of it and um yeah it's just beautiful to speak with someone like Chris Morgan who's not you know he's not um splurging his viewpoint uh on on us or on society but it's just it's who he is he became passionate about these bad about these bears because of a, a, a super cool summer camp that he went on um and um yeah and ever since then you know you can find him on national geographic or different um channels in in the united states he has his own podcast show just yeah super excited to introduce you guys to chris in a minute before I do, guys, I always say share the show. Sharing is caring. And when I say it's caring, because when you share amazing life stories with people that you love, it's just a gift paying forward to them, you know, because stories change lives. And when, you know, when you can connect in with beautiful stories, reliable stories, stories that are just honest, real and sincere um, it's a gift for people because it gets them out of their head. It changes their perspective on life and it changes their, yeah, their energy and their way of thinking. And that's what these stories do. So share these shows, uh, or should I say, share these, you know, different stories that inspire you, share them on with friends because, and family, because stories change lives, as I always say. And, um, yeah, you know, what would we do without the other stories of human beings? You know, we all used to sit around a campfire and listen to stories. And yeah, we're not doing that at the moment. Um, so this is another way of sitting around a campfire. And although we're not in the same room, I'm with you guys and I'm sharing these stories with you guys because I really believe in stories and I believe in the power of getting people to also share their amazing stories. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn if that's your your um, platform. But yeah, I, sh I share most of the the things that are going on on the show on Instagram. And well, I share everything that's going on in the show on Instagram as well as my own life. So you can also get to know me there. And if you want to connect with me, send me a message on Instagram or also on the website. Go subscribe on the website, guys. Once a week, you'll receive a super cool life story in your mailbox. Um, and that's inspirationalinterviews.com. If you're needing someone to interview for you, for your channel or for your platform or for your TV show, whatever it is, let me know as well. I interview for different organizations. Uh, we can set something up there. Uh, again, on the website, inspirationalinterviews.com. And you can uh, just go under book me and I can send you a quote or whatever it is you, you want. And also, guys, if you need someone to help you mirror your own life story and just to reflect on your own life story, I'm an NLP master coach. I do that as well. Um, I just help people get perspective of their own life, but I'm also someone who gives advice and, you know, can really just maybe give pointers where you don't see them. So if you're needing that as well, let me know again, inspirationalinterviews.com and you can go to the interview within section. Um, just tell me what you need and I can send you, um, send you some ideas and, and see maybe how we can work together. So guys, without any further ado, let's give a warm cyber welcome for Chris Morgan. Okay, let's just go in where I basically met you was with Paul Gardner. You guys are both, um, yeah, just uh, lovers of earth and animal and yeah, just protecting all the amazing 
you know, beautiful things that God's given us. And, um, and I think that really it came in because he was just inspired by our conversation, just, you know, just exploring his life story. And then he said to me, that I should speak to Chris Morgan because you're doing really good things with the bears and sort of quote unquote, that's what he said, you know? So as you know, I don't research. So, I mean, let's just go in right there. Like, what do you, what, what do you think Paul was meaning when he said you're doing really good things up there with the bears, you know? (laughs) That's a good question. (laughs) I I love Paul and his dad. They're both a huge inspiration in the world of conservation. And, you know, there's a lot of good people work with nature and with the wild for the good of our planet and people. And, uh, um, those are definitely two of those gentlemen. And yeah, it's been really fun knowing Paul for the last few years and watching the work that he's doing and triggering, really imaginative guy. And I think that, you know, the world of conservation is, is full of those types of people. We have to think on our feet. Mm. We have to be always thinking progressively and thinking about, you know, what's possible and thinking, in my case, very optimistically about things and very strategically about things. So how do we get people yeah. supercharged? about this life support system, this planet Earth, this only Earth that we've got. And supercharging people is kind of a step-by-step process, right? So years Mm. ago, and I I can tell you about the history of it, but years ago I got into bears, nearly 30 years ago. Actually, over 30 years ago, wow, time is flying. And, you know, fast forward to today, and they are still my sort of emblem for conservation, for all the good things that are possible on this planet. Because Mm. by protecting Mm. bears, you protect massive areas of wilderness, massive areas of the planet, lots of landscapes, lots of variety of landscapes, huge biodiversity that fall under the umbrella of these bears. There are eight bear species in the world. So my work is all about focusing on them. And I do a lot with other big carnivores as well, like wolves and mountain lions and other big species, because that strategy works. You know, you know, you draw someone in with a bear and I always say, bring them in with grizzly bears and leave them with earthworms, you know? So <laughs> conservation needs these kind yeah. of iconic species to draw lots of attention. And then people are brought in by wonder, amazement, curiosity about something as big and powerful as a grizzly bear. And then they start to, f- the, yeah. the other starts of the other parts of ecology and conservation sort of fall into place, you know? So, yeah, yeah. I live in Washington state yeah, here was... and, and the local grizzly bears are a big yeah. part of my life here. And there's literally a handful of them left. So my, my life is full of extremes. Wow. You know, there's two or three grizzly bears here in the North Cascades ecosystem, which is 10,000 square miles of wilderness. Only two or three of them left. Used to be hundreds of them here until white settlers arrived. Wow. That's one extreme. And then I spend a lot of time in places like coastal Alaska where there are thousands of bears, you know, perhaps six or 8,000 mm. in a chunk of land on the coast of Alaska in a piece of land the size of England, where I'm originally from. So one of the highest densities of, of bears in the world and the other extreme of, of grizzly bears. So, yeah, they're, they're a great microcosm. They're a great sort of litmus test for how things are going with, with ecosystems, the health of ecosystems. Yeah, yeah. Okay. In what way? Are they a good litmus test? Well, you know, with different species around the world, you get you get different, their resumes are slightly different. So you get different qualifications and yeah. they can be keystone species or they can be umbrella species or they can be indicator species. And each of those in ecology means something different. And quite often bears... Yeah tick all three boxes some some of the eight bear species tick all of those three boxes so you know mm. in the case of grizzly bears if you've got a population of grizzly bears that's doing well 
then you know that that whole ecosystem is doing well, is quite, is flourishing, it's intact, it's providing for a healthy population of large carnivores that have big demands on space, on food, on all these things that they need. If you've got that intact and yeah. in place, then that's a very special thing. There's Alaska, right? Yeah. If yeah. And even the human acceptance comes to that, that human wildlife dimension, where, which is where I work mostly, you know, the, how wild animals and humans can get along. Then if you come back to the North Cascades, mm-hmm. you know, there's a tiny number of bears here. Something's missing. They've, they've not had a chance to bounce back. And if they did come back, it would need augmentation. It would need those bears to be added to a small number of them over the next few years to help them come back in numbers. But what has to come back is this public understanding as well of them. So in in that way, you know. And acceptance, right? And what, sorry? Acceptance Acceptance as well. Yeah. And and yeah. I love taking it beyond. Ex- yeah, there's so many rabbit holes to go down here, Jen. I love this stuff. Yeah. So you'll have to stop me when you yeah. when you need to, you know, because and keep keep me on track because <laughs> I, I can yeah, yeah, yeah. I can wander. Yeah. No, but it's <laughs> yeah, no, but it's good. I mean, look, it's a it's a conversation right now. It's, that's why I mean, I'm also fascinated by it. You know, I, as I said to you briefly, I come from a a wildlife background. You know, my dad was a huge wild. He is a huge wildlife fan. So I grew up in the bush in Africa, and you know, obviously. Bears are not my thing, but um, I love bears. I mean, but they're just, I didn't grow up with bears. I don't, I don't know bears as much as I know, you know, buffalo, for example. And I, but, and I know um, nothing about buffalo and very little about South Africa. I can't believe, I've not been yet. So I love that though. It's kind of, there's always something new to discover in any, everyone's mind, isn't it's there? It's crazy. Yeah, exactly. But so, okay, well, look, I mean, because we only have an hour, I think, um, you know, let's, let's sort of start from the beginning in the sense of what I was curious about, um, just because I don't do the research is what came first? Was it, um, because you also frame yourself as, as an ecologist. So tell me from the start, what did you study and then what was your first job? So we can get an idea of how you came into the sort of professional world. Mm, yeah, it was a bit of a, a twisted route. Um, wasn't wasn't yeah. fully planned out. Some of it was uh, um, when when <laughs> what's the phrase when opportunity meets what is that phrase? I always forget it. Luck. Luck. Yes, there you go. When, opp- when opportunity meets luck or something like that, then can good results can come out of it. So I I was always into nature from a, as a young kid and was always nurtured in that way by my parents and family and yeah. Northern England, born in Northern England, raised partly there and raised partly in the south of England, but always time out in the Lake District or the New Forest or always from a kid turning yeah. over rocks and logs looking for snakes and lizards and insects just loved all that stuff so i i, I had what i call the nature gene and i think a lot of us are born yeah. with that and sometimes it's weeded out of us by the time we come adults and i think that's the saddest and most uh troubling thing that, that the nature gene is perhaps yeah. not taken seriously by the time you're 20 or 30 or 40 you know but we all have it when we're kids mm. so i was really into that but i was also really into sort of art and creativity and things like that so at school, I sort of tended more towards the humanities and fast forward into when I was mm. 18, I, I did my A-levels in England and one was English and one was art. Absolutely nothing to do with biology or ecology yeah. or, you yeah. know, so yeah. you couldn't have thought then as an 18-year-old I was going to end up as a bear guy living in North America and, and doing this stuff all in different places around the world. It was just kind of unimaginable. Then yeah. when I turned 18, I decided that I wanted to come to the States and visit. And, and somebody said to me, oh, you could work on a summer camp over there. And 
So I, wow. I did. I got this job working as a summer camp under this program called Camp America. Couldn't believe it. You know, landed on these shores as an 18-year-old kid, wet behind the ears and into this yeah. grand nation called United States of America. It was a, a dream. So I, stand, I ended up working on this summer camp in New Hampshire. Uh, in the boonies, in the middle of the White Mountain National Forest. And with these kids who were like born into this, like you were born into the Buffalo in South Africa world, you know, and yeah, these kids yeah. were born into that national forest and that, 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 that in northern New Hampshire. And so at this, new, at this summer camp, we had these different speakers would come in. And one week it was a coyote biologist, another week a woman came in who was a moose biologist, and it was really interesting and kind of got me thinking, wow, you know, I've always loved nature, but I didn't think I could do it for a living, and these people are. And then the third mm. person to come in was a black bear biologist. And this guy yeah. was studying these black bears in the local forest, and he brought in these skulls and hides and blew me away. I, for some reason, the, something clicked in me. I'd never thought about bears before. And I was transfixed yeah. by everything that this guy said. And it just fascinated me on so many levels. I bugged him for about two or three weeks to get out into the field with him. You know, the kids were listening, but they'd heard all about bears. I was the one who was like, oh my God, this is the best thing in the world. Yeah. So he, yeah, yeah, yeah. he finally replied to me and said, okay, I'll, I'll pick you up for some field work. So he picked me up at night. It was about nine o'clock at night. It was dark. And I thought, this is strange, going out into the field in the darkness. I really thought he was just going to out to leave me in the woods because I'd been pestering him so yeah. much. <laughs> so, yeah. so he picks me up. We drive out of the summer camp. And instead of taking a left in towards the forest, which is where I automatically thought all the bears would be, we took a right in towards town, the town of Berlin, New Hampshire. And he drove up to yeah. the garbage dump. And at the garbage dump, there were 14 black bears all sitting on top of the garbage under this full moonlight, and it blew oh, me wow. away. And we tranquilized bears and chased them to put radio collars on them, and that whole evening changed my life. It was this wow. pivotal switch in, oh my God, people do this for a living. I'm 18 years old. I'm suddenly seeing the light. I'm in America. All right, I'm in a garbage dump, but that didn't seem to spoil it for me. I'm like, this is the no, most excited no. night of my entire life, you know, and it switched things. <laughs> so at that point, Jen, I was going to come back and be a graphic designer. I was going to go to graphic to art school to follow my art path. Came back, oh, went, to art, went to art college for one day and thought, Oh no, this isn't me. I want to. I want to be a bear guy. Seriously, for one, one day, day. For one day. One day. It was that pivotal. Wow. So I decided at that point. Yep, this is going to be my future. Actually, putting my passion to work in the field of conservation, yeah. which I had no idea I could really do until I met this guy in a garbage dump in New Hampshire. You know, it was it was cool. I think about it all the time. We made a film, and yeah. I told that story just a little bit at the beginning. You know, and because it, it was so such an important uh, moment, really. Yeah, but these exactly, and these are the moments, right? And I mean, what what made you? Okay, I mean, you were fascinated. You heard his talk, and um, he bought what did you say? The skulls and the what? What did he bring in that like, night like or that day when he was and, talking? Yeah, hides, hides and radio exactly. collars and all the kinds of things I take into schools these days. You know, when I give a school talk, it's like yeah. history repeating itself. But why, like, if you if you remember back to that moment, I mean, what what was it that genuinely fascinated you? Was it the was it maybe also the excitement of it, or was it just uh, like 
there were so many images and then information that you that you received that day. Yeah. Like, can you remember exactly what it was that gripped you? Couple of things, I think. Just the fact that these big carnivores lived in the forest around this summer camp and around these kids' homes, and that was one thing. And mm. that's still mm. every. And now I live in a place like that. I didn't at the time. I came from you know Dorset in England to this experience. Yeah. You know where I, as yeah. a kid, collected lizards and snakes and mice and tiny little things. Right, they could fit in the palm yeah. of your hand. Never a bear. <laughs> right so i yeah. get there i'm like oh my yeah. god these guys squirrels lizards and snakes are called bears and they live right in these it just blew me away i think wow. i didn't think about it like this maybe at the time but i know i, I do now and looking back i think it, it is amazing to me that as homo sapiens we share this planet with these giant species whether they're buffalo grizzly bears elephants whatever they mm. might be i think it's just so special and and, and that struck yeah. me and then part two of it was like okay this guy this guy studies these creatures makes a living out of it or at the time he was studying them and it, yeah. it, it's become his life and his vocation and here he is talking passionately with these kids about it and it it really it really struck me you know we yeah. me and my kids in the cabin there um it's really weird looking back at it because the kids in the cabin i had we had about there were about eight or nine kids in one per cabin it was a small summer camp so and then there were about maybe yeah. 10 cabins so only about 100 kids totally tiny compared to most summer camps and and we called our cabin black bear who looks within that's before the bear biologist came wow. by, before I'd given a second thought about bears, and we called our cabin the name of it that we put on these signs on the on the outdoor outside of the cabin, the black bear who looks within. I've never really thought about that for a long time, but it's almost like wow. there was this kind of, I don't know, kind of a calling. It just struck me. Mm. And the interesting thing was coming home. And why? And why? Sorry, yeah. Well, no, coming home with that experience and having chosen bears as my vocation at that early age in my early 20s just came back passionate about them and oh, where do i go next find out i've got there's bears in yeah. europe you know so i can tell you about that if you like went to spain to find bears bears on my doorstep who'd have thought right but all the way through my college career because then i switched from arts to science and did a higher national diploma degree and then a master's degree in ecology and so all the way through that i had this passion burning inside me for bears and all my student friends all my buddies at college and university were like god i wish i had a focus like that because every paper i wrote every yeah. job i did everything i focused on was all about the bears of the world all through my my college years and um it was yeah. a nice hub to have i felt very lucky but that, I mean, that that is right. And I think that that's what people are striving for in a way, you know, like not everybody, but I think when people are sort of searching, it's, it's that that they're searching for. They're searching for that connection with self and you, you established that so young in your career, you know, before your career took off. Yeah. It could um, have taken me 20 more years. It does with some people, doesn't it? You know, yeah, yeah. I just interviewed some. And tell me why. Sorry. Why? Why? Just, just quickly. Uh, why did it? Why did the door say "Black Bear who looks within"? Why? Why did it that that second part? Who looks within? Do you remember why you? Ah, that's a great question. Why was it Black Bear who looks within? I think we must have had like a campfire chat with all the kids at the at the summer camp, and mm. 
okay, the, the, one of the first things you do at summer camp is you name your cabin, guys. So think very deeply about what it is you want to be represented by, which animal and why. It must have been a campfire conversation that I don't remember, but that, that would make sense. It was very yeah. much that kind of summer camp. It was full of these rural kids born with fishing poles and born hunters, born wilderness people, you know. all mm. Some of the older ones were only two years younger than me. I was 18. Some of the, the, the summer camp students were, were 16 years old, you know, on down to seven mm. or eight. And so at this formative stage of their life and... and there must have been fun, Chris. It was so... <laughs> it was. It was so fun. I'm just being naughty. <laughs> it was. It yeah, was honestly one of the camp. best. One of the best <laughs> summers of my life. The, the one thing on the on the report afterwards, like they, it was a glowing report they wrote for me. I was very, you know, very humbled by it. But they said, "But you can tend towards becoming a bit of a summer camper yourself, Chris, instead of the summer camp counselor." You know, so I would, yeah. you know, I, I enjoyed a bit of mischief as much as the kids did. So. <laughs> <laughs> And I like to think I've still got that, you know, you've got you to keep light in life, haven't you, and, and see the fun side of things. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, so I interrupt because I just wanted to know about the whole bear within, you know. But um, No, it's a great question. So, you I made, mean, you've okay. made me think about what, what that was, yeah. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, the fact that you remember the name also, but I know what it's like, right? You remember something all your life, but you never, an, you, you've never analyzed mm-hmm. it. And then suddenly when you're asked a question about it, it's like even a word in the dictionary when someone said, what's, sorry, what's that word? And you have to say the word and you think that's such a weird word. Totally. Do you know what I mean? You never, totally. yeah. And don't you hear, sometimes when newsreaders or someone read a word out, they or say a word you like you feel like you've never heard that word before it's a very strange synapse going off there you know it might be a really common yeah. word that you've not really thought about until that moment exactly yeah so um all right so you 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 went so you went back to england right and then you you studied um uh, you got your masters in england you didn't do it in, in the states did it in england yes and didn't have grizzly bears accessible and didn't yeah didn't have the funding and capacity and time to, to leave England and go and do a master's on grizzlies, which would have been my dream back then. So instead, my master's degree supervisor said, well, why don't you do like a, a, a grizzly bear study in miniature? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, you could do exactly what you do with grizzly bears, you know, radio collaring them, tracking them, studying their home ranges, comparing this, that and the other in terms of the science of their lives, but do it with red squirrels. Mm. <laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so, so I I did. So I ended up doing like oh, this. Hilarious. I did a, 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 my master's degree research was on endangered red squirrels in, in the northeast of England and studying everything I would have done with grizzly bears. But it was much easier yeah. to collect the data because, you know, catching a grizzly exactly. bear is one thing, but catching a squirrel is way easier and radio collaring them and tracking them. And yeah, yeah, it was good. All the science was the same. It's just the animal was, was about 150 times smaller. No, more. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, but I mean, there's no connection, right? In family. There's no connection. Between bed? No connection. No, no. But for my master, yeah. for my research, I studied um, lactating versus non lactating female red squirrels. How specific is that? So I would catch these little creatures oh, well. in these little cage <laughs> yeah. traps, these live traps, right? You know, attract them in, yeah. walk through this forest in northern England called Kielder Forest. 
and I would capture these squirrels, put little radio collars on them about the size of a double A battery, and literally dit, 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 track them around the forest and figure out where they were, yeah. when they were there, and how big their home ranges were, and compare lactating females with non-lactating females, meaning you know those that had wow. young yeah. and, and that were nursing yeah. versus those that, that weren't. And it was yeah, really yeah. interesting study that you could easily apply to grizzlies. So all the statistical analyses were the same and all, yeah. Um, just, yeah, grizzlies on a small scale. You, I, I can hear you cutting yourself short. You must understand, I have a father who's a storyteller. I have heard every single bush story there is about a hundred times over and over. So I listen to stories. I was born into listening to stories. And how, I'm really fascinated. And how do you, so don't how do you, stop. Do you still, okay, I've got something to ask you. Do you still listen to your dad's stories? Because my kids, I think, have almost stopped listening to mine. They might, they might, uh, they might be on yeah. the verge of starting to listen again. They're 21 and 18 years old so so they've heard it all and sometimes i think they just glaze over <laughs> <laughs> well actually um it's funny because my my poor mother i mean she's just heard his stories you know because i mean they enjoy good you know red wine and lots of dinner parties and so yeah. it, the stories always come out everyone always knew my dad's famous for his stories and everyone, my dad would always be the one talking and everyone would just be sitting listening at the table at every single gathering. So my poor mother has heard the same stories a million times. <laughs> That's great. But I mean, yeah, so I mean, she would always just say, oh, Richard, right. oh, Richard, right. like, you know. But everyone else on, in the room is like, God, oh, this is fantastic. Carry on, Richard, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah completely. Yeah, so anyway, I face the same uh, thing. My kids' eyes that. are rolling and everyone else in the room is like, this is great. And my kids are like, oh, if I hear this story another time, you know. I know, exactly. <laughs> Come, guys, taking their friends. Come, guys, I've heard the story before. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but um, no, so, okay, so just, um, again, thinking about time here. So quickly then, um, just in, in if just give me a bit of your timeline then up till today. So I have that also in my framework. Yeah, with the work that I've been doing, you mean? Yeah, but also, I mean, because here you're on TV, right? And I haven't, like, as you know, I haven't gone into it yet, but I will after this, um, you know, really go watch your programs. And I'm, I'm so fascinated to listen to your podcast because I, I literally dipped a toe on your in, on your Instagram account just to make sure I was connected with you. And then I saw a few sort of, you know, murmurs of your podcast show and then people commenting. And, and the comments were so amazing also. Just people saying, you know, this has been really like almost healing for them, you know, listening to whatever you're doing on your podcast show. So I need to find out about that as well. But so basically just from that moment when you finished studying till today, like if you can sort of in point form, what was the point form on your timeline? Yeah, I when I decided to do that switch into science, I needed to catch up quickly on science because that's not the way I'd been thinking at school, you know, because I was going to be a graphic yeah. designer until I, you know, I hit the yeah. garbage dump with all the bears in it. So it was a yeah. it was definite like cognitive switch of okay, I got to catch mm. up here. So I I I planned on volunteering and working wherever I could on as many bear projects as possible. So I kind of did that through my 20s, partly as I was at, uh, going to university and then partly afterwards and trying to figure out a way to pay for things and you know my family wasn't wealthy or I didn't have means to be sending me places so I'd have to sort of work a little bit yeah. I used to work as an English teacher to foreign students and that paid quite well and so I'd save up and then I'd get little grants to work on projects and did things in places yeah. like the Pakistani Himalayas and Ecuador and wow. different places where 
I wanted to learn, but also share my experience. I mean, one of the most amazing things was working near the Kashmir border in the high Pakistani Himalayas at about 18,000 feet. And there is this, this tiny population of brown bears, same as our grizzly bears there in Pakistan. It's like, wow. So join this amazing group yeah. of local people. And I got there ready to learn like a sponge. And long story short, I don't know if you want the long or the short story. but <laughs> Well, I want the long story, but it's about how much time you have. Yeah. But, you know, just tell me. Well, I'll you give know, you the medium length um, one. Yeah. So I, I arrive at this. This is in my 20s, <laughs> yeah. early 20s, out to learn like a sponge about everything I can from anyone in the world about bears that I've suddenly fallen in love with and figuring out yeah. my own path in life through it, you know. So I arrive in Pakistan and the, and, and this and all Pakistani team of biologists and we head up to the DSI plateau, which is the highest plateau in the world at, at 18,000 feet. You can see K2 around the bend. Um, there are a small number of bears there. There's tiny villages dappled around this place and there's conflict with these bears. There's nomadic herdsmen there. And these nomadic herdsmen mm -hmm. have sheep and goats and cheese, and sometimes the bears get to those. And uh, yeah. so there's a rub, as there is with many big carnivores. And that's the nut I try to crack these days. If we can crack the nut of the relationship between humans and big carnivores, whether it's grizzly bears, tigers, lions, cheetahs, you know, mountain lions, wolves, whatever Elephants. it is, if we can crack that, mm. I don't think there's a relationship in the natural world that we can't crack. So it's it's a it's the front line, you know. So I was seeing this firsthand in Pakistan, but we got to the we got to the base camp, all, all sitting around. Hey, can I, that, that's really interesting, by the way. Um, I'm just to interrupt you there, you know, just what you said, like if uh, it's how you see that, you know, if we can crack the relationship between humans and well, these bigger species, because obviously it's these bigger species that take the space that, you know, um, they're more dangerous also in, in, in a different way. Cause I know that they're not out to kill humans, but, um, it's interesting that you say if we can crack that relationship, then we can crack anything. Like I just, I'm just curious to go in there. Like, what do you mean exactly by that? Well, you're right. It is partly because they're potentially dangerous because they're apex predators, carnivores. That mm -hmm. that that exactly. in the case of a female grizzly, defends her young or her food. Um, in the yeah. case of a, a mountain lion, might very infrequently attack a human being, thinking that they are food. Um, grizzlies are mm. more on the defensive side, um, so. They are potentially dangerous. They're also creatures that require space and resources like human beings, not unlike human beings at all, right? We need space. We need resources. We, are, we demand things from our environment way more than any carnivore does, but still there's a comparison there. So these animals, mm. let's take a grizzly bear. If you have a five or 600 square mile home range, which some of them do in various parts of the world, then you're wandering a lot. And within that space, you can get into trouble with humans, or you can not find enough food or find enough food, or you can, there's all kinds of things that come and go in your life as a grizzly bear in that size area. And yeah. if that size area is protected for you and you, you are secure and safe, then, then that's the golden ticket to conserving that species. Um, yeah. And if we can allow for that as human beings, these big wide-ranging, occasionally dangerous animals, then we can do anything for nature, any species underneath the umbrella of these bears, because they're very much those umbrella species that I talked about earlier on. Protect the bear, yeah, exactly. protect everything else in its ecosystem, you know. Mm. 10,000 square miles here in the North Cascades. If you manage that 10,000 square miles, which would be easy to do for people and for grizzly bears in synchrony, 
where's an appreciation for these bears they're they're meeting all of their their ecological needs all the food all the space um protected in that 10,000 square miles you can imagine the countless species in that 10,000 square miles whether you're a sparrow species an earthworm a beetle a a mountain lion an elk whatever you might Mm. be you're under that umbrella of that grizzly bear Mm. population that's why we call them Mm. umbrella species so back to you know if we can live with them and find ways and it's not just about um it's not about coexisting it's not about i'm 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 always someone who's on the positive side of things right so we need to start looking at protecting things like bears and ecosystems and biodiversity as the biggest opportunity and essential necessity that we have as humans it's our life support yeah. system. We wouldn't be facing climate change if we had biodiversity loss licked. We wouldn't. It comes above yeah. climate change in the order of magnitude of things that we need to deal with, right? We need to stop chopping yeah. down the trees that provide us with oxygen. We need to make sure we preserve wetlands that provide us with water supplies when that's running low. There's all kinds of things that these ecosystems do for us. So starting with bears, it's like, it's iconic and imaginative and and it's Mm. you know all these big creatures trickle down to so much that we all need as human beings so that's the approach so but then ultimately just just to conclude that also it's it's very much about um giving them their space and 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 protecting that that's the animal space because it's as you say they they're not out to kill humans but it's as you say if it's a lactating mom or you know she wants to protect her cubs they are they are wild species they will do that Um, yes but it's also so it's about just yeah it's easy to stay out of trouble when you're going into the back country and into wilderness areas informed about these animals it really is easy to stay out of trouble the trouble comes when people are ill-prepared or don't have the knowledge or, or haven't experienced it before and you can run into tricky situations for sure. I'm, I'm the last person to say that grizzly bears are never dangerous. Of course, they're living their lives and defending their young and meeting their needs. You know, like any one of us would be defensive or aggressive yeah. in, in, you know, looking out for our kids or our own needs. You know, they're, they're a creature that's doing that. So they can be dangerous. Yeah, but it is so, so rare. But they have a bad reputation. Yeah. Newspaper headlines love the drama, don't they? Yeah, of course. No, I know. But I mean, for example, uh, it, it's just interesting to to really categorize in terms of because the, the, the talk is very much about saving, you know, saving Earth's, you know, nature, the animals, etc. You know, and it's not about um, the Earth. The Earth will recuperate, but human beings are the ones who sort of stand to be sort of put to extinction. But mm-hmm. um, it's more that... It's about sort of frameworking. I'm just curious how to framework, in my mind, also from watching Attenborough's film, his latest film, Mm -hmm. but um, it's about giving them their space and not interfering with their space. That's really what, because Kim, for example, Kim, uh, I don't know if you know Kim uh, Walleter. Yeah, strangely enough, I I narrated his film. Oh, seriously? Okay, so I interviewed him recently, and it's a, such a stunning interview. But, you know, the thing is, and this is what I had to sort of keep reiterating, because obviously he talks about the fact that these, you know, the hyenas are not, they're not dangerous. They're not, but on the other side, I mean, having been someone growing up the bush, I do know if any tourist, as and as they do in the Kruger National Park, they always get out their cars. And you keep hearing about these people that got eaten by lions and attacked by animals. or And then, you know, you say, well, why did they get out their car? The difference is, is that Kim is living with the hyenas. So he's developing a relationship with them. He doesn't just arrive and get out of his car. Right, right. 
It's a very different thing, isn't it? So, yeah, he has the experience yeah. and the knowledge bought like since he was a since he was a child in that environment. Yeah, but not everybody does, yeah. and fewer and fewer people do. We're we're so very disconnected as a human society from nature, which is where we're all from. We all think we're above it, beyond it, separate from it. But we're not. Yeah. You scratch away the surface, and we are just hairless apes at the end of the day. You know those synapses yeah. are still intact from our ancient <laughs> yeah. ape relatives. You know it's it's. Yeah. We all yeah. think we're so sophisticated and beyond nature. God, we are lost without it. And like you said, the planet will be fine without humans. And it may come to a day where that is the scenario we're looking at—a planet recovering yeah. without humans on it. So yeah. your point about how what is the framework of this conversation is is one that I bounce around like a game of table tennis in my head all the time, you know, yeah. going from, okay, this is our life support system. It's what we need as a human species to survive. The sooner we realize that with urgency, the better. We, we can't carry on the way we're, we're, we're operating now. We just, we just can't. Back to David Attenborough's film, mm. A Life on Our Planet. Everybody on the planet should watch that film, A Life on Our Planet. David Attenborough, Netflix, it's yeah. amazing. And, and, it's phenomenal, There are stark, yeah. scary stories in that, but the last half of that film is all about what we can do to rectify these problems. And I'm all about, like, how do we hold the sky up? We know it's falling. How do we hold it up? You know, we're the smartest creatures on earth. We can do this, mm. right? So I'd really encourage everybody to watch that film. It, it, it is a game changer. So, okay, yeah. so it's that. There's that life support system. That, that's one category, right? But then there's this whole other thing that I'm fascinated by, which is these species... Back to the black bears in New Hampshire that I started with when I was 18 and the grizzly bears here and, and, and hundreds of bears I've spent time around in parts of the world now and, and other species as well. And I am amazed that they are here, amazed that this planet has evolved this countless number of incredible species. It's like the, the odds are so stacked against that happening, right? It's a unique, mm. probably a unique Gaian ecosphere, this, this, this planet that we're on. Each of those creatures, mm. I think, deserves the right to live, be protected, have a life here, whether they're cognizant of it or not. Um, so there's this kind of other angle to it, isn't there, about, you know, each animal deserves that right to a life on this planet. It's almost a spiritual mm. Buddhist tendency towards the argument, isn't it? You know, equal rights for, mm. for wildlife and, and all humans, you know. So there's, there's that side of it too. And I, I think the power of those two together is perhaps really really powerful it's it's a it's a it's a potent thing protect them because we're protecting ourselves by doing that but protect them because damn it they they deserve it never ask for it they never do they never they're not demanding too much i have i have a just a little side story i have one remote camera out yeah. in my local forest here just just half a mile away and I was yeah. curious to see what I could find in that forest on one camera. So it's one trail camera, wildlife camera that you set up on yeah. a tree and you leave it there for several weeks. And within the first couple of weeks, I had two mountain lions on there and a bear that I've been tracking through that forest on foot as well. And he showed up on the camera and just sitting in the forest, getting the results, plugging the SD card into my phone and looking at these results on there. I'm like, man, you know, and this just struck me just a few weeks ago was... These creatures are out there, they're living their life, they're traipsing around these trails that people are on all the time, and they ask mm. for absolutely nothing. They ask for absolutely nothing yeah. of us. They're out there struggling to survive, living their lives, 
the epitome of their evolution in their own worlds, able to survive, able to hunt, able to sleep away a winter if you're a bear, able to stay up all winter and hunt if you're a mountain lion. All these things that they've become exceptional at, and we should really respect them for that. It's amazing. And the fact that we, wow. we, the fact that we don't give them the tiny bit of space and, and ability to live is something that has to change. We'd yeah. all be richer for it. Absolutely. No, I agree. And I mean, this is a conversation that I, 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 like you, would stay up all night sort of <laughs> trying to find really what that solution is, right? We need some and, wine, but, Jen, some wine. I know. We need wine and we need a fire and we need we just need a good starry night and it'll, I love <laughs> it'll it. solve the world's problems. Maybe in South Africa. <laughs> That'll get me there. Oh my God. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to be there in a few weeks time for six months. Oh, so. I'm jealous. <laughs> no. Okay. So let's go back to Kashmir. So that, cause that was a pinnacle moment for you. So, and, and, and also the question is why did you go there first to sort of really venture into your career? Why didn't you go to the States or? Well, there were, even, there were a few. Even, even, um, uh, Russia, for example. Yeah. There were a few places that came up as opportunities for me to go and explore that I was just dazzled by. And, and, and in those early years, in my early 20s, when I came back and was like, okay, where are the other bears in the world? I went to Spain. Mm. It was so funny. I was, we just moved house a few months ago. And um, yeah. there was one last box ready to go up in the attic. And I pulled a box out the other day. I'm like, what is this? And I unearthed this book down at the bottom, this like, like notebook. I thought, oh, my God, that looks familiar, but I can't remember what it was. Pulled it out, dusted it yeah. off, opened up the front cover, and it was a journal from Spain that I'd written in 1990. And that was my first oh, trip wow. into European bear country after my experience as an 18-year-old. So here I was now, 20, going to Spain, tiny number of bears there, a small population of them in two little places, about 70 in total back then in 1990. And so I set off as this 20-year-old with this crazy camper with, with hieroglyphics all over it and writing from my friends. That's another story. But ended up in these northern yeah. mountains looking for bears, found a bear by some miracle in the, deep in the forest there in northern Spain. And, you know, I'd been to Spain a lot, but it was all beaches and, and, and beers. And, you know, it was a whole different Spain yeah. in the north where there's wolves and bears. And now you fast forward to that location. So I'm looking through the pages of this journal. It was so nice. I just flashed back to that place and time in my mind and heart in those wow. in those hills. It was so, you know, you know, imagine right finding something that you've not read for for thirty thirty years, and um, yeah, it really struck me. You know, there's wording in there that brought tears to my eyes, and letters from my mum that she'd sent to Spain saying, "How's it going?" And the good old days before internet or even fax machines or anything. You know, and it's like. Mm. This is, it was really special to find it. And then to but look at that, Spain today, yeah. and there are nearly, there's over 300 bears in Spain now from 70, 30 years ago. So there's this incredible success wow. story. So, so I started in Spain and then did some stuff in the Canadian Arctic and did some stuff in Ecuador. And then, you know, I ended up going to the Pakistani Himalayas for, for one of those projects in those first okay. few years. Yeah. So, so I, I get... But before, before you're going into, before you're going to now, Cash, just quick, why did it strike you? Why did it make you so emotional seeing those, the, the, the writings and, and the book? Like, what was it that... Well, do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, but yeah. partly what it was, um, 
I was out, we were out camping. It was just a couple of weeks ago and I was with, with my lady Brandon reading this thing and uh, just deeply immersed in it. And uh, there was a letter in there from, from my mom. And my mm. mom was a huge, huge influence on my life. Just a, a wonderful, laughing, spirited, adventurous lady who loved the world and people and discovering the new things and never questioned mm. my craziness for wanting to go into wildlife, was always just there for... I had no idea how I would make a living and she probably had no idea either. She had no idea, right? But she never would say, mm. this is crazy, Chris. You need to be this, that or that. She'd never. She was just always there for me. So one of the things in this journal was a letter from her and it said... It sounds like you're having some wonderful... Because we would write letters back and forth. I was in Spain for two months. And she yeah. said, it sounds like you're having a wonderful time. I wish you I wish you had a dictaphone to record your adventures, Chris, because the world needs to hear them. And it, it just choked me up because here I am with the world's wow. biggest dictaphone now, right? It's called a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and sharing these experiences. And my mum saw that in me before I did, you know, this passion for sharing stories about this amazing place, you know, that we call home. Wow. And, um, yeah, so, and it was also really lovely to... That's really beautiful, right? The the, the mother-child connection also, and there's so much power in a parent just letting their child be. There really is, you know? yeah. Yeah, and I'm learning that as a father as well, you know, just giving giving my kids the space to just be who they are is so, so important. Not be who I am mm. or who I would like them to be or, you know, I love them to bits for just who they are. And, um, yeah, my, I, I always got that support from from my mom and, and my dad as well, and it was very, very, uh, very powerful. Yeah. Um, the other yeah. thing reading that journal is, mm. you know, as you grow up and you change, you evolve, you're influenced by different things and... I'm someone who's in my head a lot, thinking about and processing mm -hmm. and, and... I know. <laughs> <laughs> You've not known me for long, but you already know, right? Yeah. So I'm always, so uh, you think, have I changed for the better? Have I changed for the worst? I, I hope I'm constantly improving because that's what I strive for. And I read these pages yeah. of the journal. I'm like, oh my God, I could have written this yesterday. And it was so fulfilling. It was so like, oh my God. Okay, I don't think I've lost my passion for anything or my wonder for anything or my you know and it all came across mm. in the pages of this of this journal and i'd love to make a film about it at some point you know go back to spain retrace my steps as a as a 52 year old man looking back to a 21 year old exactly. man i think it would be quite profound you know but Wow, it works. Especially yeah. as the bears have now taken off there and they're just there's at least four times more of them there are than there were thirty years ago. And you never hear those kinds of stories. It's that story of hope that yeah. I'm always drawn to. Did you did you think or I mean did were you attracted to the media world as a child? No, not at all. No, I I um in fact I still live this double life. My friends one of my friends described me as a an introvert trapped in an extrovert's body, <laughs> and I think that's pretty pretty accurate. Yeah, I feel. Um, yeah. Sometimes I've got to. What does an extrovert's body look like? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think you know what they were getting at, which I thought was pretty spot on. Is I'm someone who loves um, my favorite place is being on the woods on my own. Honestly, I love that. 
I, I'm not, I don't only love nature. I think, I think I'm in love with nature. You know, I love just being out there yeah. on my own and absorbing it and learning from a leaf on the ground or, or, or a bear walking by. And I, I love that. But I also don't ever want to keep that to myself. And I was always someone who wanted to share my stories because I, I love seeing mm. people happy. I love inspiring people. And I've been lucky enough to be placed in situations where I can where I can do that through my storytelling now and, yeah. and through films and podcasts and things, you know. So that that's wonderful being able to do it. But sometimes being, you know, being that public is is, you know, I've got to move beyond my total comfort zone. So I was never drawn to media, yeah. never saw myself really as being part of that. But got to the point of thinking, okay, people seem to enjoy these stories, whether it's on a cassette that I send home from somewhere, you know, um, when I'm out in the wild, or or yeah. whether it's some other kind of connection. People seem to like that. And then it got to the point where it's like, oh my God, people need to hear these stories from anybody who's spending time out in the wilderness and working on conservation. This is, this is yeah. urgent now. So anybody who's got that ability should do it. I was talking to a young bunch of young students the other day at University of Washington here on a big Zoom presentation and they were Q and Q yeah. and A stuff. And um they were asking me about what's needed as a conservationist, as a young conservationist or biologist or researcher in this world. Mm. And I and I said, move beyond your comfort zone of being someone who's perhaps tends towards being more at home in nature than in a crowded room of people. Move beyond it, push through it talk to people, engage people, make conservation and biology a social norm in conversations, you know. Um, yeah. We're at that yeah. point. We, we, we've got to. But you're feeling it anyway. I'm, I'm feeling it, you know. I feel the bubble of that. It, it feels like it's, it is bubbling, mm. you know. So I agree. Um, so, okay, so going back to Kashmir, I won't ask you another question. Don't, don't, don't say anything interesting and then okay. I won't ask you anything. Okay. Hey, Back to Kashmir would be a good book title, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, or yeah, a good exactly, film title, yeah. 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 So the thing that struck me there, I'm up at this 18,000-foot plateau in the middle of the Himalayas there to study these unknown brown bears with this group of Pakistani guys, and we all sit down in the mess tent on night one, kind of a welcome thing. I had uh, mm. Jardia and altitude sickness all at once, so it wasn't a happy oh. version of myself, to say the least. You know, yeah, um, yeah. And we sat down, and the main guy starts talking and, and introducing the whole team, and I'm the only non-Pakistani member of this team, so I'm just all ears and can't believe where I am. I'm here to learn all about these creatures from these experts, you know, in their home country. Wow. And, um, one of the first things that the boss says is in this beautiful Pakistani accent is, Chris, tell us all about bears. And I, I said, really? Uh, I, I said, okay. Um, I thought, I'll, they're just testing me out, you know. I thought, I'll start from the beginning. Yeah. Um, so I said, well, uh, you know, bears as carnivores. And before I could carry on, he interrupts me and he says, wait a minute, Chris, bears are carnivores? I said, yeah. I said, yeah, what do you mean? I, was like, I thought he was pulling my leg. I said, you know that, you're, yeah. a, you're a bear biologist. And he said, oh no, I'm a dentist. And I said, what? Uh, you are? He goes, I'm a dentist. And, and uh, my partner here is a chemical engineer. And I said, I thought you were bear biologists. I'm here to 
I'm here to study with you and learn from you. And he goes, no, no, we, yeah. we love these bears. We want to help them. But I'm a dentist and he's a chemical engineer and and you're here to help us. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> talk about feeling in over your head on day one. But it became, the, so this dentist and this chemical engineer had started this project to learn about these bears. And I couldn't believe it. It's like, okay, there's a passion from people who didn't even study wildlife and they're just pursuing their passion and their dream of protecting these bears in, in the home country. And it really touched me. Um, but how did you even come to be with these guys then? Like, how, how did that happen? So early on, I joined this organization called the International Association for Bear Research and Management. There's a, an oh, okay. organization of like 600 <laughs> biologists or more around the world, each of whom are working on their own bear project and research. Mm. So it's like this go-to Bible of people doing crazy cool stuff around the world on, on bears. So, you know, I would yeah. look through it and, and read abstracts of scientific papers and read connections and things and, and blurbs in that newsletter. And I'd be drawn to certain places. And then sometimes I'd be able to find a small grant or I'd I'd work to pay for a flight. So in this case, I got a grant to go over there from an organization called WSPA in the UK. And so that helped yeah. me. And it was just... It was an incredible summer of learning from these locals about not just bears, but about their culture, their beliefs, about my first time in a Muslim country. It was amazing, you know, to to wake up to wow. the sounds of my quickly best friend in Pakistan, you know, singing to Allah and in bear country at 18,000. It was just a crazy cool experience and struck me on so many levels, you know, and stuck, sticks with me to, to, to today, you know, and the things that helped the stepping stones of understanding this world and, and bears and conservation and people and everything, you know, it was amazing. Yeah. Have you been back there since? I've not, and I would love to. That's another success story. That place has now become a national park. So the bears that we wow. found and discovered, I mean, we didn't even know we would see any that summer. And I remember coming over yeah. the brow of a hill and we were, I think, I think about a couple of weeks in and looking down the brow of the, from the brow of this hill and there was a female and two cubs and we all danced and hugged each other and didn't know each other uh. well at that time. But And, you know, fast forward a couple of years, it became a national park in the 90s and and uh, another success story of, of bears protected. Yeah. And, and, and there you go. You protect that plateau, you're protecting an entire watershed for villages downstream. Of yeah. it. That's a great example. Protect the bears, protect a village's water supply. You know, it, it all adds up. Yeah. But when you were so young, were you, I mean, were you thinking about protecting the species or was it more about understanding them? That's a good question. And I think about that a lot. I, n no, I wasn't initially because I was still learning. So, Honestly, mm -hmm. I was always an adventurous youngster and still am, not the youngster bit, but adventurous. <laughs> so it always started out, it was like, <laughs> adventure, adventure, adventure. Where can I go? What can I do? What can I see? Yeah. Amazing, like deep curiosity about everything on this planet. You know, I wanted to learn it all. And then that adventure sort of turned into me doing science because it was the natural way to go. So then I started researching and learning about statistical analysis and ecology and going to school for it. So that became science. Then I realized, you know, I wasn't, you know, I'll never be the best scientist in the world, but when I talked about what I was learning, people seemed to listen. So I thought, okay, maybe education is where it's at because 
People need mm. to know about about this planet, these species that we share it with. So mm. I moved to the States 23 years ago, and that was a good example of moving into sort of an education role. And here it was about grizzly yeah. bears, the grizzly bear outreach project I gave birth to here and in the North Cascades in, in Washington State. And that was all about outreach and, and, and pulling people in through these communities about bears, even though I had this weird accent and people are like, what do you know about grizzlies? And well, I knew quite yeah. a lot at that point, you know, so it was education. And then it moved into this realm of advocacy and my storytelling and the role that I play is, is, is you know, holy shit, we've got to move faster on this. This is time for us to okay. look urgently at all this stuff. It's no longer an adventure. But was that in sort of was that in combination with then listening to the David Attenboroughs of the world and other sort of wild, seeing other wildlife programs? Or was that coming from within yourself, noticing from within your direct facing experience of it? It was, it was the latter, yeah. David Attenborough yeah. was a huge influence on my life from when I was seven or eight years old and his Life on Earth series. And I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and he's still yeah. my absolute hero. But it was my traveling and seeing it firsthand and working with indigenous tribes and Native American and First Nations people and seeing it from their perspective in different places and local people on the ground. I'm like, wow, there is there is something here that needs attention. And then as the decades pass, here we are, you know, with David Attenborough's Life on Our Planet film, really putting it into perspective for the whole world to see, like, now it's crunch time. Yeah. So this journey yeah. kind of happened for yeah a variety of in a variety of ways and for a variety of reasons and and opportunities of experiencing and seeing things firsthand and of course yeah. you know the the lexicon language and vocabulary of this all changing i mean i started in films about 10 12 years ago and back then you couldn't propose a film that had the word conservation in it to a national geographic or a bbc because they're like yeah you know we really don't want that word in there it's a bit of a downer you know, audiences are looking yeah. for more adventure and the spark and beauty. Mm. Or, that's now changed. If the word conservation and yeah. climate change is not in a wildlife documentary show, it's like conspicuous by its absence, thank God. But that's been a journey yeah. too, you know? So you're right. We're on this little tipping point, I think, Jen, where it's like, okay, people are starting to get it, but still we need to ratchet it up. Yeah. So tell me, why did you say um, that you would never have been the best scientist in the world? I don't think I ha I'm really disciplined when it comes to work, but I don't, a couple of reasons. I don't think I would have had the discipline. I'm really crap at maths. So that's huge, yeah. right? I've never been drawn to maths. Okay. That's, I, I didn't yeah. get that gene. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm not yeah, sure but, I had. But, but, but for a reason, right? Because that's your, your path, as your mom said, was in storytelling and, and sharing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I didn't need the maths for that. <laughs> and I don't, yeah. so and I didn't want to have the discipline. And also, it, in that transition from science to education, I had the chance to do a PhD in South America on, on spectacle bears. And I woke up one morning and went, no, I don't want to. I don't want to become compartmentalized into becoming the spectacle bear guy in, in South America. Um, mm. I think. At the time, I was thinking the last thing that's needed is another PhD dissertation that sits collecting dust on somebody's shelf. 
I, I, yeah. I want it to start yeah. getting word. And they're good. God, we need science and we need scientists and those PhDs. Are, and researchers. Yeah. yeah. But we need more of those scientists to now be switching into education and some of them even more into advocacy to really put science in the forefront of people's minds so they can see that, you know, what we need for the planet is based on science. And it's this scientist that's telling me. People trust scientists for the most part. It started to change in this last few years, but that's another story. Hopefully, hopefully it'll swing back with a new administration in the States, for example, you know, trusting science. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, <laughs> science. Yeah. yeah. Remember yeah. that? Remember trusting science I and do. scientists, you know? Yeah. Well, that's actually a big, uh, a big, th- and and education, right? Because that, that could also be a good turnaround for the States at the moment because, uh, um, Biden's uh, partners and educational yeah. specialists. Yeah, so fabulous. But um, so, and it just, I'm, I'm so conscious of time now. So um, was it important for you to, to strive to be the best in the world at something back then when you were so, you know, developing yourself? Not really, no. No, I've always been driven not in a competitive way to be the best at something, but to do the best mm-hmm. that I can for sure um, and to have an impact. And that's what gets me out of bed every morning is just thinking, I don't know why I'm pushed that way, but I, I'm just, I feel pushed to make a difference while I'm here for a few short years on this, this planet. And whatever yeah. I can do in that direction really fulfills me. And, uh, but no, I, I, there's there's not much ego in this. Honestly, I I um I, I'd rather things got done, and whoever does them doesn't much matter to me. It's like they just need to get done, you know, for for the planet, for conservation, for wildlife, for ourselves. Um, yeah, we're very much all in this together. So I mean, you are like, how big are you in the TV world? Like, are you? I mean, did your TV career? breakthrough in the states obviously because you moved to yeah it was strange it didn't happen in the uk i moved here 23 years ago and started do, exactly, started yeah. doing film work for for pbs and national geographic and a couple of things for the bbc and um was great and some of that stuff continues i've, I've narrated a lot of films for pbs and hosted a lot for them um mm. and then you know careers change and pathways develop in different ways and um I still do a lot of voiceover narrations. I I love short films as well. So I, I get independent funding to do short films that have impact. And, you know, our local Grizzlies here are examples where you can do... I was really impacted by someone who said, you know, I work to make films for small audiences. And everyone always seems to think big viral audiences, that's what you want. But I've started to say it's not viral, it's vital. You need the vital audience. So someone that triggered that for me a few years ago was someone who made a climate change film and they said, I've made it for one person to watch. I'm like, wow, who's that? And they said, it's President Obama. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. And it reached President Obama and that film helped to to influence his climate change policy. So so, so there you go, right? So you got this bottom-up approach of reaching everybody or you got the top-down of of, of reaching the president and, and... so that's influenced me a lot. So the films continued. Yeah. The podcast started um, just over a year ago, about a year and a half ago. And it's been, yeah. oh, I just love it. It's just, it's distilled storytelling. It's simple. It's tiny crews. It's not, not big film crews. It's tiny, tiny crews. So just explain it, explain it to, to us listening now, you know, so that the ear can understand what they can expect in your 
in your episodes? Yeah, it's it's called The Wild with Chris Morgan, and I make it in in partnership with KUOW, the NPR station here near where I live. They're, they're down in Seattle. And it's really all about immersing people in the natural world, and we record them mostly outside with experts yeah. who, are, who have this wonder and experience and knowledge about wildlife. So we've got stories, mm. they're about half an hour long, and they range from, you know, I went to central Italy to talk about bears in central Italy, two hours from Rome, you know, that coexisted yeah. and, 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 and lived with the Romans, and they still are eking out an existence, these 50 bears in central Italy. You know, bears that were otherwise put into into the Colosseum to fight gladiators and things like that, you know, yeah. amazing story. Yeah. While I was there, I did an episode on wolves coming back to, to Germany. 20 years ago, zero wolves. They'd all been killed 100 years before that. And then 20 years ago, two wolves came in from Poland. And now there are probably 1,000 wolves in, Washington, in, uh, in Germany. And it's just an incredible success story of wolves rebounding there. So that was another one. And then we've done episodes on the the value of forests and how it can be good for you mentally, spiritually, uh, health-wise, physically, just literally forest bathing, it's called forest therapy time in a forest. So yeah. all of them are designed, and we've done episodes on cougars and, and grizzly bears and all kinds of stuff, you know, penguins and sperm whales. And some of the episodes are just tiny, short, immersive experiences where you feel like, oh, I just had five minutes in nature. And others, someone... Yeah as a huge compliment, described them as like the planet Earth of podcasts, meaning like the David Attenborough series, Planet Earth. I'm like, oh, oh that's wow. huge, right? Because he's my total hero. <laughs> he is, yeah. You've even got him at the bottom of your email uh, signature. That's right. That's <laughs> Quite, right. Yeah. yeah. What we do in the next 20 years will determine the future of all life on Earth is is what that quote is from him, yeah. Uh, you know what? I can. Uh, you just have such a... Uh, um, you know, I usually go so much deeper into people's stories and I've promised you that I won't go over an hour. So, but I just want to say like you, you ooze so much love and lightness and enthusiasm for, for this, you know, you, you really like, I mean, I don't, oh, thanks, I, I, I've known you for, yeah, just a short time and, you know, um, you definitely, you know, you talk about speaking with these students on Zoom at the university and, you know, you will have the impact everywhere you go because it just, it oozes from you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. It, uh, um, I enjoy it and it feeds me. It's my passion. I, I, I wouldn't know what else to do. And um, I'm driven, you know, from somewhere deep inside. Yeah. So, I mean, just sort of on, on closing then, you know, I think two things then. It just the one question is, you know, what advice would you give since you do also talk to students, you know, just to give all the guys listening now, like, you know, that are feeling a bit lost at the moment and especially also with Corona, that's really sort of jerked people um, in a lot of introspective ways, mm -hmm. you know, like just to, yeah, how would you advise people in, in terms of, making a decision with having an impact on this world. Not everyone wants to be a conservationist, right? right. And that's not the only sort of uh, way to contribute to our communities, et cetera. So, yeah, what would your tips be for people to sort of trigger that? Well, I think, you know, you could look at the COVID crisis as something negative and something that hamstrings us, whether it's a human society or, or you as an individual. Or you could look at it 
as I've tried to do, and it's not always easy, it's all very well to say it right, but you, you could look at it as an opportunity to hit the reset button, recalibrate, mm-hmm. take a huge deep breath in your life and figure out what it is that you are passionate about that does no harm, that has kindness about it, that is for the greater good, that will make you happy for the rest of your life, that will be doing something good for the planet and people on it and those species we share it with. And no matter what your passion is, and it doesn't have to be conservation or wildlife, it can be anything, but if you tick those boxes, I, I, I would argue that you'll never be unhappy. And now is a time to plan for that because mm. that future will come, right? COVID won't be here with us forever in unmanageable ways. Um, I think that it is a great time to restock and, and recalibrate and, and just think about things in, in that way. Um, I have a little post-it note on my, my wall uh, in my office, and it says something like, uh, don't be COVID passive, be, be COVID active, meaning grab this opportunity by the throat mm. and make something of it rather than be someone who's complaining and and seeing the negative side about it. It's like, okay, this mm. is maybe happening for a reason. And yeah. it's maybe time for us to just dive into a whole new world. I think that this is, mm. I heard someone describe COVID as a portal for human society. And if we can come through this portal and leave some of the baggage and negativity and negative impact we've had on our earth to each other and the planet behind in that portal and move through that little Mm. bottleneck of this portal and come into a sort of a, a brighter world personally and for all humans, everything that lives on this planet, if we see it as that portal, oh my God, that is the most refreshing way of looking at this, isn't it? You know, that's, that's amazing, really. But I mean, you had a you had a a comment on your on your one post on Instagram, and that that that's sort of the only post that I saw. It was about your podcast, and it was it was someone saying I could listen to this again and again and again. I can't remember exactly what the words were, but so th- let's just take hypothetically that person, right? The feeling I got about that person is very much also about the feeling I get from a lot of the guys that are listening to my show and. Um, you know, it's often it's often someone that hasn't been gifted the opportunity uh, to go straight out into nature or, you know, um, and it's not about being gifted because you talk about not coming from necessarily an affluent background, like you created your story, you made your story, right? Mm-hmm. But for someone who's, say, sitting in an apartment in a city and they're hearing you talk now, they're hearing you say, you know, if you can come out of this on the other side with the light and let's just put it in practical terms. They're in there, they, they live in an apartment, they're in a city. Mm-hmm. Like what practically would you say they could do to transform to the other side of this yeah. experience? People have different, what was it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Needs, wants, desires. Yeah. We all have needs. We all have to pay the bills, put food in our bellies, look after our, our families, you know. There are things that you want and then there are things that you desire. So there's those three levels of, 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 of looking at the world and the way you approach it. And my God, a lot mm. of people can't pay their rent right now, can't, you know, can't put food on the table. The last thing they're thinking about is how to save the world. They're, they're thinking about more immediate things and and that is sad and needs to change as well uh, as, as a society, right? But for, yeah. for, for, for a lot of people who can think about connecting with nature in a way, it is helpful for them personally. It is helpful for their families. It is, 
And I would think that anybody, I always say that, you know, you don't have to be in the Alaskan wilderness to experience nature. Sometimes it's a crack in the sidewalk. It's an ant climbing up a tree in a, in a city park. It's a flower blossoming. Yeah. It's an autumn leaf lying on the ground that, you know, I can still not walk past. I want to pick it up and figure out why it's turned brown and how the veins work. And all of these things, there's wonder everywhere you look for anybody who wants to go and find it. And I would encourage anyone just to start talking about it, you know, when, when you're sitting with your kids and make it a part of everyday conversation. What did you see outside today? Did a bird fly over, whether it was a pigeon or a falcon, you know, or, or you know, it doesn't have to be exotic. Our connection with nature is right there if we just look for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's nice. I like that. And I, I could see it. You are a good storyteller, Chris. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I just I'm seeing it. I'm seeing the ant climb up the tree and then I'm seeing this like autumn orange leaf and oh, <laughs> my well, that's whole imagination good. is I just waffle going from well. my heart, Jen, is all I do, you know. It's like they end up being cool stories, but I just kind of I don't know, it's uh I think everyone has that it's too, be- you know. It's like there's a storyteller in everyone, right? It comes from our sitting in caves around the first fires in human civilization, you know. We all wanted a good story and so it's in yeah. all of us, whether it's a story we tell ourselves or those loved ones around us or or to a, a, a bigger audience, you know, that we yeah. humans are storytellers. So I encourage that in people. Well, just to, to end off then, tell us the most beautiful experience you've had in nature that you can, that you, well, that, because I can, I know there are many, but that comes to mind sort of wow. first. Wow. I'm, you've stumped me. I'm suddenly lost for words. I I have a hard time singling out things like that. Um, yeah. Wow, Jen, you've totally stumped me. I wasn't expecting that. What would that be? Um, I, I mean, in terms of, like, it depends what you're looking at. If, if it was those 14 black bears sitting on that garbage well, just, dump. I don't you know. know. <laughs> like, if you, if you sit, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, if you just sit, like, from your heart, there's, there's definitely some pinnacle moments, I reckon, that, pop out for you yeah one of them was with a total hero of mine in uh, borneo and we were down there filming this is a film that people might enjoy as well you can watch it it streams on amazon in in uh, most countries uh, it's called bear yeah. track what's it called it's called bear track yeah, yeah so it's a documentary yeah. about a journey i take around the world on my motorcycle to go and find bears and those people protecting them and yeah. I got to know somebody through that who is a total hero of mine. Hero of mine. His, his name is Dr. Su Tae Wong. And he studies the smallest bears in the world, the smallest bear species. They're called sun bears. And, and they look like they're the size of a, of a brown, Alaskan brown bear's cub. These things are tiny. The adults, you know, are <laughs> tiny. No, but are, they called, are they called sun bears? Sun bears, yeah. Not, okay, no, did you say they're the tiniest species in the world? Yeah, they're the smallest bear species, yeah. But because it's not, it's, what about the water bear? The water bear, yeah, the water bear is a microscopic yeah. creature, but yeah, nothing to do with bears. But, but, and it has nothing to do, right, with bears? No, no. So there's, there's eight bear species oh, yeah. in the world okay. and they all look reasonably similar to each other except for size, shape and color usually and where they live. And these ones down in Southeast Asia in Borneo that Sute Wong is studying, they're, they're called sun bears, S-U-N, you know, like the sun. Yeah. The sun. And yeah. these guys live in these amazing tropical rainforests. And while we were filming Wong, he said, I have this opportunity to release this sun bear into the wild. And it was 
one of the most wondrous days in my life. Chura was the name of this cub. She was orphaned and taken by the people mm. who had killed her mother in the rainforest, kept in captivity until Wong and the government came along and took this cub from them for him to rehabilitate and bring back to the wild and, and give a life. Talk about Buddhism yeah. beliefs. Wong is an amazing person in that way. He sees value in every creature's life. So he sees these orphan bears that are maltreated and need a better life, and he wants to bring it to them. So we went out for the day with this cub that was released back into the forest. It's paws on earth for the first time in the soil, on the soil of this rainforest for the first time in its 10-month life since it was taken into captivity. And mm. you'll see in the film, it just, this creature, I mean, the only way to describe it is it like it, it exploded with joy. It was yeah. like Wong says in the oh, film, I'm sweet. back to my home again. This 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 cub was thinking to itself. It was playing with, with vines and sticks and climbing trees and wearing itself out like a kid in a candy store. It was just the most moving and enjoyable, you know, going from tears thinking about the rough life this animal would have to absolute laughter at its antics you know it's just uh, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget it and thank god it's all in film for me to watch as many times times as possible you know and and now wong he's gone from strength to strength we've helped support his work however we can and he's amazing at getting word out about these little bears that nobody knows about and he's got this huge center yeah. that rehabilitates these bears now for life back in the wild in borneo these bears that nobody knows about but again protect them protect Take the rainforest that we all need, and Wong is amazing. I'd, I'd encourage everyone to look him up. He's um, and a good introduction to him is our film Bear Track. So yeah, he's an absolute yeah. superstar. Oh, Chris, are we gonna need to, we're gonna need to talk again because um, <laughs> and I, I, I need to psychoanalyze you more. Ah, but, um, I need it. It's I haven't I haven't had the opportunity to really do that because I know there's so much to your story, right? I mean, we've literally like skimmed on the surface of things, but it's been so cool and yeah, just such a gift to yeah to be a little part of your journey for <laughs> for an hour in my lifetime. Oh, thanks, Jen. And, I've enjoyed um, it. Yeah. And, um, but yeah, I just want to, yeah, thank you for sharing your story. And also, you know, people like yourself who are going out there and making the world a beautiful place is, is what inspires everyone else to do that. And, you know, you talk about, um, you know, just speaking with, with this energy and you could speak for ages. And, you know, when, when people are connecting with, Whatever it is that you said ticks all those boxes. So obviously, you know, when we talk about go out there and follow your passion and, you know, connect with your truth, it is also ticking those boxes where it's good to society mm -hmm. and you, you know, you're contributing. And um, and when you're able to do that in, yeah, someone who maybe is a graphic designer, let's just go back to where you were mm -hmm. going to maybe start, mm -hmm. you know, Um that's, you know, that's what I wish for everyone and bringing your story out here to just hear your, your joy in, in sharing it is, yeah, it's a gift. And I just want to thank you for allowing me to share a part of it. Oh, thank you, Jen. That's really kind words. I appreciate it. I've, I've enjoyed it. And you're right. I think 
I think everybody can get involved no matter what they do. And and I think what is wonderful and wondrous is, and what we're trying to do with the wild is make sure that people that are listening are not only transported in this kind of like otherworldly place into nature where we're all from, but they're also realizing, oh my God, there's entire communities of people out there that are saving the planet for all of us and studying their species that yeah. they love and their version of the bear story, you know, and it's amazing. So I'd encourage people to tap into that community, find out who's protecting your local park or forest or mountain range or continent you know at any scale and and help them yeah. and if you're a graphic design offer some hours to do some graphic designing for them if you're good at fundraising do that if you're an accountant maybe do you know it's like we can all be part of the solution it's it's which is a really cool thing wow that i love that was awesome that's cool that's a nice really really like that because that's actually framed work it's it's framed it for me right it's exactly that and just in terms of going back to your your hero david attenborough for me the questions were but what can i do like okay i'll put my plastic in a separate box i already do that but i'll keep doing that right but i was really thinking what can i do like i'm in my house now i've watched his program i've you know i grew up with him in the background always with my dad of course um so, but it was, what can I actually do? And what you just said now is beautiful and perfect. And guys listening right now, that is exactly how you can contribute is connect with the thing that brings you joy, whether it's a graphic design thing or whether it's, you know, in my case, interviewing people or in your case, going out into nature and telling the stories, but then bring it home to something that connects with keeping the world its species, its animals, just safe, healthy, and beautiful, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well said. Yeah, I like that. Awesome. Because anyone can do that. I mean, even a, even a, you know, um, administrator can say, listen, can I contribute a couple of hours in your local community that's contributing towards? Yeah, exactly. You know, I think the thing for people to remember as well that, that things don't I just was driving somewhere this morning for a, for a meeting and I looked out of the window near this uh, it was in town so you know buildings everywhere and this huge huge meadow opposite these buildings that's been this wild meadow with coyotes and birds in it and I've always thought oh it'd be so such a shame if that ends up being built up with all these high rise buildings yeah. and offices and stuff you know I drove past it today for the first time in months and it's become a park it's a park with a beautiful trail through it and you know it's like this wild little chunk i'm like that's amazing but people have to remember those things don't happen automatically they happen with someone saying that should be a park and not another development you know and then it helps you know Mm. it happens by people voting for the right people it happens by people being part of the conservation organizations that make those things happen they don't happen by accident yellowstone national park the first national park in the world in 1872 didn't happen by accident it was because a whole bunch of really determined people wanted to protect that amazing place so we can all be a part of that having our voices heard and it starts by telling stories and it starts by passion and and it's enjoyable you know i mean you look back on the accomplishments and you and you're able to then think oh i was a part of that little park being created or whatever it might be you know it's i think people have more power than they perhaps think sometimes and um it's it's something for us not to forget yeah, but it's just, you know, you're also in the public eye. So a lot of people, when they're when they're watching someone who's in the public eye, right, tell their story mm-hmm. or share an experience or try to motivate and encourage, there's always a little bit of a distance because people 
people don't ever believe they can reach what you've achieved. Right. It, it's a funny thing, but it's just when someone is in a in a in a in a place of um, yeah, whether it's fame or some sort of public figure. It, it's sometimes a bit too far, but but, but, but that's why do, I love uh, what you said. Yeah. No, but that's why I loved what you said because you were and ironically, just I was bringing it back to being a graphic designer. But that just that simple connection of you don't have to be Chris Morgan who's out, you know, being filmed with bears and on various sh you know shows and has his own podcast show, etc. You can just be a graphic designer and contribute. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it starts with maybe the simplest things, right? You could picture a graphic designer's office and surrounding themselves with pictures of lions and jaguars and grizzly bears. And it's a trigger for a conversation with colleagues, you know, when we are all back in our offices and normal workspace, you know. But it's just triggering those thoughts and making it part of the social norm and normal conversations on an everyday basis. This is a world that we yeah. live in. There's only one world yeah. like it, and we're a part of it. Like Attenborough says in his film, we are not apart from it. We are a part of it. And yeah. we should all take pride and joy and, and, and act on that. Chris, as I said in the intro to the last conversation, um, you have the most amazing voice and I just so thoroughly enjoyed listening to our conversation because, um, yeah, your, it, other than your voice, of course, but obviously I'm, you know, talking about your voice so that people can also go forward and listen to your um, podcast show, uh, which I'll put the link to on the show notes on my website, inspirationalinterviews.com. But um, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed connecting with your energy. I still have a smile on my face. I smile, um, you know, just thinking about the night that we had the conversation because it was such a mission trying to speak with you because you were on the other side of the world to me and um, it was very late when we spoke and I just connect back in now thinking about the night that we spoke and obviously now just listening to the conversation again. I just want to thank you so much because stories like yours are so incredible. They're so simple yet so unique and so special to you. And, you know, when you can just share and tap into a story like your own, it's so inspiring. And I just want to thank you so much for coming onto the show with me. And now guys, it's that time of the show for me to introduce my next guest. So guys, my next guest on the show, her name is Mariah Mansfeld Beck. And yeah, very cool story of a woman who just saw an opportunity and took it. Basically, she needed something. It wasn't there. And she went out and created it herself. So, um, yeah, what more can I say? It's very much an, uh, a story of, um, yeah, someone who started their own company, uh, who just went out there and followed the steps. And, um, you know, we all think that starting a business is so difficult. And to be honest, actually, it's not difficult starting a company. It's 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 actually easy starting a company. It's um, it's just a matter of following the steps to make it happen. Uh, she started her business with a partner. It was actually a friend of hers. And um, yeah, and what's cool about it is, you know, they grew the business. They ended up getting um, shareholders involved and you really grew this business. And um, when they felt that it was time to step back because now it became more about running the business, 
um, they did that. And, you know, this is also something that's so important um, for entrepreneurs and people starting businesses is to know, like, you know, some people start a business and they think, okay, this is it. This is my baby for the rest of my life. And um, actually, you know, often what happens is you start this, it becomes your baby. It is your baby because you created this business. Um, but often, you know, we grow as human beings and there comes a moment in our life where we decide, you know what, I'm not enjoying this as much anymore or I'm actually too involved in the managing of it, you know, and the excitement of starting it is no longer there. And it's about knowing when to step back and how to step back. So it's it's a completely um, diverse conversation. Also just to find out her personal story behind the business. And uh, yeah, look forward to sharing the story with you guys next week. And if you guys have any questions about any of these interviews, just send me an email, guys, jen at inspirationalinterviews.com. And again, go subscribe on the website. Once a week, you'll receive a super cool live story in your mailbox. Um, Instagram, as I always say, find me there. It's kind of my current affairs um, of uh, inspirational interviews, but also I just post, you know, inserts of my own life and what's happening so that you guys can also find out a little bit more about who I am and, um, yeah, just interact with me there, which a lot of people do. And, uh, yeah, guys, share the show on, as I said earlier, sharing is caring. Stories change lives, so share this on with all of your friends and family who could do with just really cool, down-to-earth, genuine life stories. And if you need an interviewer, again, find me on the website under Book Me. And if you need someone to help you mirror your own life story, then let me know. Um, and I can make it reachable for you and I to connect on Zoom or Skype or whatever it is. So guys, have an amazing week. And as I always say, see you on the flip side.